before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And the bridge of this song says, What do I know of holy, of the one who the angels praise? All creation knows your name. On earth and heaven above, what do I know of this love? And Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But that's not where it stopped. And that's um, what we should celebrate today in that He did die, and then he rose again for us because he loved us. And he is alive today. And so the title of the song is, What Do I Know of Holy? I made you promises a thousand times. Tried to hear from heaven, but I talked the whole time. I think I've made you too small. I never feared you at all. No, if you touched my face, would I know you? Looked into my eyes, could I behold you? So what do I know of you who spoke me into motion? Where have I even stood but the shore along your ocean? Are you fire? Are you fury? Are you sacred? Are you beautiful? So what do I know? What do I know of holy?
guess I thought that I had figured you out. I knew all the stories, and I learned to talk about how you are mighty to save. But those were only empty words on a page. Then I caught a glimpse of who you might be. The slightest hint of you brought me down to my knees. So what do I know of you? Who spoke me into motion? Where have I even stood? But the shore along your ocean. Are you fire? Are you fury? Are you sacred? Are you beautiful? So what do I know? What do I know of holy? life its name what do I know of holy of the one who the angels praise all creation knows your name on earth and heaven above what do I know of this love So what do I know of you who spoke me into motion? Where have I even stood but the shore along your ocean? Are you fire? Are you fury? Are you sacred? Are you beautiful? Lord, what do I know? What do I know of holy? What do I know of holy? Taylor, and again, thank you for being here. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 24, and that is is my prayer, as Taylor's song described, what do we know of Him? My prayer is that you'll get to know Him better. Ever since the beginning of the year, we've had, uh, we've tried to emphasize drawing closer to the Lord and His Word, and we've had to try to pay a greater, not that we didn't respect God's Word, but just showing, trying to take an, try, trying to take an extra step. I'm going to ask you at this time, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I know many of you are settled in. 
you have your kids. We didn't have children's church this morning. We Everybody's celebrating Easter all together as a family. And I want to begin, I know it's not in there, so let's start with verse 13. It's a very short reading, so just follow along or listen along. Luke 24 and verse 13. The Word of God says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they walked together of all these things, excuse me, they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as... You walk and are sad. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us. May your Holy Spirit lead us as we look to your word, your word this morning for a time of encouragement, realizing the price you paid for our sins. That's why we need a Savior. Thank you for being our Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for helping me pay a little respect to God's Word. I'll let you get back in your spot and you'll try to get settled in. And uh, for the next 30 minutes or so, just give your attention to this scene. Now, in God's Word, after the resurrection, Jesus rose from the grave. Okay? That means He's alive. If He rose, He rose from the grave, by the way, bodily. He had a glorified body. In this glorified body, we have some snapshots. The four Gospels give us, even the really the very first part of the book of Acts, uh, which is written by Luke, that we see these different scenes of Jesus post-resurrection, after the resurrection. In these scenes, we get a glimpse of the message, think about it, if you could tell, you knew that you were going to leave this world today. You knew that you were going to leave this world this week. What would be some of the last things you would try to tell the people you love? You know, and Jesus was, now he did uh, show up several times later, uh, such as to Paul. He, you know, we see him appearing to Paul, and in that he shared the message that he had for Paul and But as God's Word was completed in half the New Testament by Paul, basically, uh, we find that he had a ton of things to say before he knew that we had these 66 books and the Holy Spirit to guide us. And so that's my prayer for you this morning, that you would look at this. First of all, the message this morning, a life-changing experience. I've had several people tell me that, They've had life-changing experiences. Most of the time, uh, I've seen this. People have a near-death experience. That's a life-changing experience. People will have a heart attack, uh, and they'll, after that, they're, and there is something physiological to that. There is, uh, I mean, all sorts of things going on, uh, in the human body, but after a heart attack, people that were hard-nosed and cold, I've seen them mellow out. And become just 
uh, very emotional. People that were no emotions at all would cry at the drop of a hat after a heart attack. There's, there is something physiological to that. But nevertheless, some people have life-changing experiences, say after a wreck, or maybe after losing, near lo- losing somebody they love, or after losing somebody they love. There's all sorts of things that can cause a life-changing experience. Now, one of them is salvation. Now, there may be, I'm just going to take it for granted, everybody in this room understands what I'm saying when I say a salvation experience. But, if there's someone here, then you may not know what exactly is Brother Michael meaning when he says a salvation experience. There's all sorts of ways to put that. Matter of fact, I was reading some old church minutes one day. Uh, These are recordings of what churches did during business meetings back in the day. Now, this is the very first church I pastored, which, like Promised Land, began back in the 1800s. Matter of fact, next year we celebrate our 150th birthday. Uh, Promised Land does our, if you want to say that bicentennial is not a bicentennial, that's 200 years. It's a sesquicentennial. That's 150. That's a mouthful. The only reason I know how to say that is Texas back in 1986 had their sesquicentennial. And looking at the way back then, there was in those minutes, they kept saying during the revival meeting that there were 32 people added to the church by experience of grace. I'm like, and I was just dumb enough at 19 to not really comprehend what that meant. And uh, still, I just, uh, what in the world experiences? What? I mean, what? And then, of course, that was their way of saying it back in the 1800s. They got saved. They got saved. So there's all sorts of ways. How did you meet Jesus? Matter of fact, uh, this when I was in the Philippines just a couple weeks ago, again, the church sending me and carrying over there. I was walking on eggshells around all these Muslims, and I really, and we were on this island, and we were stranded. We had no way off the island since the motor and the and the diesel motor, the Cummins motor, blew up. We had no way to get off the island, and so we're. I'm said, I don't want to mess up Pastor Boyd's experience, but I told the Muslims, especially the Muslim cleric, and go on my Facebook page. You can see the picture there. I put it on on the wall thing there, and but anyway. He's the fellow, if you're looking at the picture on the right. The other fellow really didn't understand English. But I said, and I really, instead of trying to tell them how to get saved, what I did was, I just said, can I tell you what Isa has done for me? Now, that's the Muslim word for Jesus. That's the word that they use. So they knew exactly what I meant. The other, the cleric, he understood English very well. So I had no problem talking to him about what Isa has done for me. But that's all it is. You know, in Taylor's song, that you know, to know. Now, I want you to know this. Number one, everybody in this room, including this preacher, are sinners. We all found out that uh, even our football coaches are sinners this week. Uh-huh. And so, but we're all that away. And, you know, the finger pointing, the blame game and all that. But, folks, and a lot of people say that, uh, and erroneously, I've heard this a lot this week, say that, uh, uh, well... One sin's no greater than another sin, but that's um, a mistake to say that. The only time you say that is whenever we say that we're all sinners. There are greater and lesser sins in the Bible. Matter of fact, sometimes God had the death penalty for some sins and just a restoration penalty for another sin. So even in the Bible, God in His wisdom 
said some sins are greater. And they're greater, why? Because they're consequences. Okay? And adultery was definitely a sin that was punishable by death in the Bible. And looking at that, nevertheless, it doesn't matter. We're all sinners. It puts us all in the same boat. That's the only time you can say one sin's just as good as another sin is the fact that you're a sinner. You have sinned. Matter of fact, everybody in this room has committed adultery. Most of the adultery in this room is with our eyes. Yeah. Most of the adultery in this room is with our mind. Most of the adultery in this room is with our heart. We are unfaithful to our partner in our heart. We've all done, especially guys. Guys, I mean, that's the way God wired us. You know, we can sin in our, with our eyes, our heart, our mind, and have lustful things. Don't, nobody, no one knows about it except you and God. But don't kick yourself. You're wired that way. You better fight it. You better say no because <laughs> there's consequences for something, not saying no to your heart and your mind. Matter of fact, the Bible says it is deceitfully wicked. And that's the whole reason that Jesus, to have a life-changing experience with Jesus is I'm a sinner and I'm on a road to hell and I'm not, I don't want to go there at ten years old. I, I, it scared me to death and I said, I don't want to go there, mom. I had no idea that people went there because, just because we messed up. I thought you had to be really bad to go there. But I found out all you have to be is a sinner and have mercy, everybody is a sinner, and I say that reverently, have mercy, God, I'm a sinner. And I called on Jesus, and the salvation experience is, I, I said, Jesus, now this is just a summary, You, when you prayed and asked Jesus to save you, you might have said it verbally with your mouth, you might have said it in your heart, you might have said it in the altar, you might have said it in the bedroom, you might have said it on the road, you might have said it somewhere, and you prayed and you said, God, I'm a sinner too. I need You as my Savior. That's a salvation experience. Say it with any words you want, but that's what you have to say in essence or in summary. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner. Jesus, I need You. Would You save me? Be my Savior if you've never done that. More than likely, this morning you are not saved and you do not have a home in heaven. Where I grew up, we don't have it out here, obviously. This mailbox is borrowed. I'm just borrowing the parsonage. And uh, But everywhere I grew up, Everybody had a name on their mailbox. Reese, Hall, Ivy, naming all my kinfolks in Arkansas, Fike. <laughs> That'd be the name on the mailbox. I want to ask you this morning, do you have a mailbox in heaven with your name on it? And that's, in essence, the way Jesus, excuse me, the disciples told Jesus, we won't... We don't have a relationship with you. And he said, rejoice because your names are written there in heaven. So salvation is a life-changing experience. And there are a lot of life-changing experiences. And uh, to do that, to know that the life... But many of them didn't believe the words of Jesus. They didn't know what He meant about the resurrection until after the resurrection. 
I'm, I'm not going to turn over there and read Matthew 16, 24, but it says, if any man is going to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and come after me. Come on! Come on! You know, and uh, matter of fact, in our uh, BTC class, we're, uh, we have three of them, and in one of them, we're studying this here, this thing called Not a Fan, Get You a Bracelet. Come join it if you don't already have a class, Not a Fan. People never ask you that. Matter of fact, some of them have had that question asked to them. They said, you're not a fan of what? Cowboys? No, I'm not a fan of Jesus. What do you mean? Because I want to be a follower. Fans stay in the stands. A follower takes up their cross. They get up out of the stands and they follow they get involved in the game. They don't sit on the sidelines and just cheer. Many of us come today and we'll watch Brother Michael do his thing for 30 minutes there. There he goes. Way to go, Brother Michael. Amen. The choir did awesome. Now let's go to the house. The game is over. And I can go back to living any way that I want to. That's a fan and not a follower. The question comes to you, are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? A fan is a distant admirer. A lot of times, in the, even Peter was a fan. The apostle Peter. He's just a fan. He's sitting on the sidelines and Satan said, uh, excuse me, Jesus said, Satan's going to sift you as wheat. He's going to shake your life around. But when you give yourself to me, he used the King James word, converted, when you give your life to me, you take up your cross. Follow me. Strengthen your brethren. Feed my sheep. They didn't know that Jesus was even around. Matter of fact, in our text, it says here, they're on their way. And it says that Jesus came near to them, verse 15 and verse 16, but they didn't realize He was there. And if you turn to a couple of Scriptures... And I want to go to Judges. I'm going to put my finger there in Judges 16. All right, Judges 16. Then also all the way at the other end of the Bible, Judges uh, 16, and then Revelation chapter two. Get there. Give you a second. I'm going there. I'm going there also. So here we go. Revelation chapter 2. So, Judges 16 verse 20 says this. And she said, of course, Delilah said to Samson, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he, it says with, but in King James it means knew. And he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. He was a this was a high ranking person with God, a judge of Israel, and he didn't even realize that God's spirit had left. But some folks don't whether they don't know whether Jesus is a part of their life or not. They're just going through the motions. He, they're just wandering along on this road and they have not a clue if Jesus is a part of their life or not. 
And Samson got caught up in sin, messing with a woman, Delilah, and he drifted away from God. And all of a sudden, you know, I've, many of you have had those vacations on the ocean. It's fun. Man, I love it when there's waves. We'll get one of those blow-up rafts, you know, just, I mean, just a $40 or whatever what it costs. And come on, kids. And they're a lot bigger than the last time, than the last time I did this. And I'd, I'd ramp them into the ocean and we'd play, we'd play and, and just ramping those waves in that blow-up raft, having a good time. And all of a sudden, look up and we've already drifted away from where we're supposed to be 500 yards. And folks, our life is that away with the Lord many times. And then you, and we drift and you don't even realize it. And that's what happened to Samson in Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. This church at Ephesus, they were doing all these good things. He said in, in Revelation 2, 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience. This sounds like a great church. As a matter of fact, you, uh, those which are evil, you can't stand them. You've tried them which say they are apostles and are not, you found them liars. You hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake labored. And it says, has not fainted. You don't give up. That's what I want people to say about me. He doesn't quit. He doesn't give up. Verse 4, all of a sudden. This is a church that has great Sunday school teachers, great preaching, awesome. You go into this church, and they've got it. everything happening. <clears throat> pardon me, but they don't have love. Nevertheless, I am somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Caleb, if you wouldn't mind, would you go get me a little glass of water? There is a huge cotton ball formed in my throat. <clears throat> Came out of nowhere. Thank you, son. Back to our text. Just go right back. I have my Bible ribbon right there. Real quick. And it says, uh, <clears throat> so they didn't know if Jesus were, was around or not. Then it says they knew the story, but they didn't know the man very well. Well, that bit right in line with Taylor's song. You can meet Jesus, but do you really know Him? As we go down this story... They went up there and it says that their eyes were holding, I'm in verse 16, that the, whether they should know Him or not. In verse 11, thank you, Caleb. The reference, thank you, reference that I have there. After the resurrection, when they went and all the women, they found the tomb empty. In verse 11, their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Peter got up and ran to the sepulcher, stooping down because the doorway to the tomb of Jesus, even the one that in the garden tomb was originally only this high. And you can see where they made it bigger so people could walk in. And uh, they had rolled that stone in front of that. That's why it says every, in several of the Gospels, he stooped down, got in there, stooped down and looked in. They just had a little old doorway. <clears throat> and he saw the linen clothes laying by themselves and departed wondering in himself at what was come to pass. Now think about this. This was Jesus' one of his inner circle. Peter, James, and John, every time inner circle these are very 
these are three guys very close to the Lord. Even they, at the time, did not quite understand what was going on. But you see, after Jesus appeared to them, talked to them, and encouraged them, they totally had life-changing experiences. Many people doubt the resurrection of Jesus. But tell me, and they say, well, the apostles hid His body or covered it up or a lie or something like that. Why would anybody lay down their life for a lie? But they did. They laid down their life, but not for a lie. When Jesus, the, the last point is this. When Jesus intervenes in your life, now listen to me very closely. This is intervening in your life on a good point. If you're lost here this morning, and if I say that, you say, well, Brother Michael, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I am. I'm not talking about that kind of lost. If you've never prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, that's what lost means. That's what I mean by that term. That means that you don't know the Lord. When you draw your last breath, you're going to wake up in hell. Okay? That's what lost means. Why would I go there? Because we're all sinners. None of us deserve heaven. I mean, people say, well, Brother Michael, you don't know so-and-so, they are good people. They are really good people. I might deserve hell, but they don't deserve hell. You know what's wrong with that statement? And I've heard that several people that cannot believe in hell and cannot believe God would send anybody to hell. But this is what's wrong with that picture. You're comparing yourself to another person. In order to figure out if you deserve heaven or not, all you have to do is compare yourself to God. That's what it means when God in His Word says He is so holy, so above our comprehension that we're saying we're good enough to be up there with Him. Anybody that good? But I've met even people who claim to be that good. I've visited with them. And they visited with me. I stood a little ways away from them, Brother Bobby. Because when they said they was good as God, I got a little worried about being that close to somebody that good. (laughs) You know, and it was the truth. They did claim that. But they don't realize the statement that they, you know, and I kind of giggled inside, you know, trying to maintain a conversation. But you see, none of us are that good, are we? Matter of fact, the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. And that we all are sinners before a holy and righteous God. You see, you're comparing yourself the wrong way. If anybody, you say, well, I might deserve hell, but man, they they are awesome, awesome, awesome people. But that's where we mess up when we compare ourselves horizontally. Not comparing ourselves to the Lord. That's where He's at. And so, that's what I mean by lost. You've never prayed and asked Jesus to save you. 
You need to be saved. God wants to intervene in your life this morning. To lost people, there's only one intervention He wants to make. There's only one... Hey, God wants to mess with your life. He wants to make you uncomfortable. He wants to mess your life up from your plans. Matter of fact, tell Him your plans. He'll laugh. And then y'all both settle down and get on to business. In God's business is He sent His Son to die for you. And now He wants a relationship with you. Of all things, imagine that. God, I mean, that'd be like you wanting a relationship with a fire ant. Or a cockroach. Man, you love that animal. You love it. I mean, think about it. God is so up there, so holy, so righteous. And He wants a relationship with you. One of over seven billion of you. And He can personally sit down and talk with you. And visit with you. How can He do that? Because He's God. And He can be in more than one place at one time. And all of a sudden, God in the flesh, in a physical form named Jesus Christ, showed up to encourage two people. He wanted to intervene in their life. And He's talking with them. And I've already read to you that part where it says, Guys, what's going on? Why are you so sad this today? Why are you so upset? And He said, have you, haven't you been around Jerusalem? Don't you know what's going on? This man Jesus, a great guy. He never did anything wrong to anybody. And they killed Him. And He's been dead three days. Boy, were they in for a shock. And so, He starts saying everything. And this is what, this is what we should desire this morning. Folks, I'm going to preach about another five or six minutes. So hang with me. Yeah, I know, I'm trying to keep going. Hang with, look at it, look at it. If you got a, if you got a bulletin, look at it. I don't just type this to, to hear my fingers roar. Okay? That's what my mom used to say to me. I'm not just saying this to hear my mouth roar. I always wondered what she meant by that, but now I get it. The light bulb came on. Our design. God wants to mess with your life. How? In what ways? He, that we should desire to be in His presence. That we should want to know Him fully. And that we should hunger for His Word. And then lastly, you'll want to tell others. But if He hadn't messed with your life enough that you want to do those things, and if you're saved, He's going to still... Con- people... I don't know why. I have no joy, no peace. There's nothing happening. Folks, your life can be falling apart. I've met Christians who have lost their jobs, lost stuff, and met their life just totally be blown away, and they have peace and joy. It doesn't mean they don't get sad. You can have joy even in sadness. And if that doesn't make sense to you, see me after church. Verse 25. I'm still in Luke 24. And he said unto them, after they said their story, he said, O fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. 
Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter in His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them all the Scriptures, the things concerning Himself. And they drew nigh unto the village where they went, and He made as though as He has gone a little further. But they constrained Him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Number one, if you're, if coming to church makes you uncomfortable, then you do not desire to be in the presence of Jesus. There's only two reasons for that. Only two. I like it when you can narrow it down. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, uh, Melly Don and Jeff and all of our other mechanics. One of the things I hate messing with, I'm just an amateur mechanic and everything else. I hate a short circuit. When you cannot find where the problem is. Why won't this work? Well, let me tell you the problem. If you don't feel comfortable in church, if something's wrong with you, you don't desire the presence of God's people, it's two things, only two. Number one, you're lost, you need to be saved. You say, well, preacher, I'm, I'm saved. I remember asking Jesus to save me. There's sin in your life. You need to tell it to God. And it could just be the sin of, man, I've just been, I've been goofing off. I have been goofing off. I, that's it, preacher. I've been, I'm a goof off. I've been goofing off and vice versa. Tell it to the Lord and say, I'm tired of playing on the sidelines. I'm ready to get in the game. Put me, coach, put me in the game. I'm ready to get involved in the, that's what they desire. I'm gotta go. I'll see you later. No, don't leave. Come to the house with us. And he went to the house and they had fellowship together and it was great. And all of a sudden, boom, their eyes open up. And you know what I mean. You know what I mean? They get it. The light bulb comes on. And I've seen people come to church 20, 30, and 40 years. You say, preacher, you've only been alive 45 years. That's right. I'm preaching to people that are in their 60s. And their light bulb comes on. You know what that means? I've been playing church all these years. Playing that just means you show up. Hey, preacher, how are you doing? Bye. See you later. I gave a tip and offering plate. There's a difference between a tithe and a tip, by the way. Thanks for the ten dollars worth. See you later. And just play church and play church and play church. And then they go on. The light bulb came on. Their eyes were opened. All of a sudden, Jesus vanished out of their sight. He could do that in a glorified body. And this is the statement that I want to finish with. <clears throat> so, they're having fellowship in verse 30. Verse 31, their eyes were opened. They realized who they've been talking with all along. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us by the way? And while He opened us to us the Scriptures. 
And they arose the same hour, returned to Jerusalem, found the eleven gathered together them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way. They had a story to tell. Now listen. Do you have a story? There's something keeping you on the sidelines. What's keeping you on the sidelines? What's keeping you from having a life-changing experience? Kind of like we were talking about in Sunday school, you can uh, have the gift of salvation but never open it. It means you're saved, but you've never looked and seen what's inside to see what He has for you. As we prepare for a hymn of invitation, Would you bow with me for a word of prayer, please? Father, thank you for this time to share your word. Thank you for everyone that took the extra time to come to the service this morning. I pray that for someone today, that they would say, I'm tired of playing. I'm tired of being a fan. I want to commit to you. Get in the ball game. Get involved. Father, help to open my eyes this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.